Happy Resurrection Day again. Thank you. Amen. We, um, as Christians, have a lot to celebrate. Of course, we know that every every Sunday, every first day of the week, we celebrate that resurrection, don't we? And uh, so we want to make it uh, just even extra special today as we uh, think again on what what He did. In uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 15, Actually, I'm going to start around. Could start around 12, and I'm going to start around verse 14. And if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is vain. Your faith also is vain. Moreover, we are even found to be false witnesses of God, because we testified against God that He raised Christ, whom He did not raise. If in fact the dead are not raised. For if the dead are not raised, not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is worthless. You are still in your sins. Then those who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. If we have hoped in Christ in this life only, we are of all men most to be pitied. But now, Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who are asleep. Amen. The aim of history, at least God's story, His story, is that people would marvel at the very majesty of Jesus Christ. Christians marvel. Christians praise Him. And so our aim this Resurrection Sunday morning is that we would marvel upon the One who has been revealed to us and through His Word, this this Christ And only marveling by understanding this truth is what makes much of this One whom we adore and recognize as true beauty, this Christ. He was raised from the dead and is now alive and very powerful. And how more can I say it? How can I say it? That is just at the least of putting it mildly, (laughs) this powerful Christ resurrecting, raising from the dead. And in 1 Corinthians 15, we see Paul proclaiming the good news. This is great news. He starts off the very first three verses dealing with the good news, the gospel. This is good news. There is no better news than this, is it? For people who are lost and in their sins. And so we know that the good news is that not only did he die and was buried, but the resurrection of Jesus Christ satisfies our deepest needs. And it definitely satisfied the Father in all that He had done and all the work. And He was raised, the very power that raised Him from the dead. Can you imagine the dynamite power that it takes? We can't. That's the same power that came into our lives um, that caused us to be born again. And what it is amazing is really He is at the center of all this. We have deepest needs and longings. All humans have those deep needs and longings. And it's, it's because of sin. The nature of sin. But God has put this kind of longing in us. And he, and he is at the very focus here. And so really what Paul is doing is putting Jesus at the center. 
and God who raised Him from the dead and the Holy Spirit who comes into our lives and makes us new. So our prayer for this morning, this resurrection morning that uh, we celebrate, is that we feel these five longings that we're going to put forth. And every believer has really these rooted in their hearts. And you would see that the risen Lord and the living Jesus is the answer to every longing that we have. Anything that we are amiss, He is the answer to. No doubt about it. And that is what is going to satisfy us. Other things will never satisfy us. They can for a moment. A light momentary time can happen. But listen, when we are trusting in Him and letting Him do His work no matter what, and we're satisfied in Him, that's when God is most glorified. And so these longings, these needs are going to come straight out of this text that we look at here, these five things. You could probably count them differently if you wanted to, but that's the way we're trying to get a handle on just helping us out a little bit this morning. You know, if um, if Christ didn't raise from the dead, everything would be in shambles. Total disarray. And that's what he's saying all through here. And then in verse 20, he says, But now, but in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead. That's great news. And He's the first one. He's the first fruits that that has happened. So let's look at those this morning. Let's pray just for a moment. Father, as we look into Your Word this morning, give us wisdom, give us insight into this text that follows right along with the Gospels about the resurrection of Christ and and the very facts that were given. And then Paul comes along and tells us that this resurrection is everything to us. And if it's not, then it's absolutely worthless. Christianity is to us. But we know better as we look at this. And uh, Lord, thank You so much for that. Uh, Help us to learn who You are better. In Jesus' name, Amen. First one is uh, this need that we have, a great need, a great, great need is someone in whom we can trust. Absolutely. Thoroughly trust Him. Um, We know that in verse 14, if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is vain. Uh, We'll get into uh, preaching and then the truth and that kind of thing, but our, our faith would be totally empty. It would be vain. Everything that we believe is absolutely worthless without that great hinge. And so, really what he's, uh, what we're going to do here, rather than stating this negatively, even though that is right, not uh, you know, in vain, but we can say positively that our faith is well-founded. We have something here that is so solid and grounded. And we can say personally, each one of us, because of the resurrection of Christ, there is someone who we can trust absolutely. And you know you've been let down by everybody that you've ever known since you have known people. Ever since you've been a little bit, little bitty baby, even your parents let you down, friends let you down, it doesn't matter. People at work, they're always going to let you down. They're not going to be your answer. Don't look at them for your answer. Don't be surprised, right? But um, the thing is that we are to believe deep in our hearts that we have a longing for someone and that we can count on Him through thick and thin, through every situation, regardless of what is happening. He is absolutely, without a doubt, trustworthy. Isn't that amazing? Mm -hmm. 
And He proved it. This resurrection proved it. He said He was going to do that. Yeah, right. Nobody really, really knew what He meant. Um, They were all surprised, all the disciples. But you know what? He didn't let them down anyway. He will always be there. He is always there. He is always there. may not feel it. may not seem like it. But do you remember when He put Adam and Eve in the garden? And there they were to glorify God. That's He is the very one where they were to find their satisfaction. Only in Him would they find that satisfaction. Everything that they needed. Now we know that um, because of sin, people get the wrong idea of how to get their satisfaction. So they try so many different things. The need has always been there. The need for the Lord. Even before sin, they needed Him, didn't they? Now, we are no longer in our sins. We still sin in the flesh, but as God sees us, that's been taken care of. We're no longer in our sins. We are in Christ. In Christ alone. Now, the longings are satisfied because of this resurrection of Christ. The death of Jesus proves His love, His grace, His mercy for us. And we know that resurrection proves His power. As His death and burial, then His resurrection, it proves His very power that He has over the very enemy of life. Of life itself. Life has enemies. And we know about Satan. We know about the world and we know about the flesh and all of them would love to destroy us and they can take us down. But the thing is, there is someone we can count on, someone we can absolutely trust, absolutely, without a doubt, trustworthy, right? Someone will never let you down. Jesus is alive to be trusted. Look in Galatians 2.20. That's what He wants. He wants us to just trust Him. Basic, boiled down message. This is so simple, but profound. What does God want from you? What's His will? Trust Him. That's too simple. No, it's not. (laughs) But we must trust Him. That's where He is glorified. When we trust Him. No matter where He's taken us. I have been crucified with Christ and it is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave Himself up for me. I live in Christ. Christ is in me. That's my life. That's what life is. I can trust Him in everything. He lives in me. I live by faith. Trust. Faith, trust. Same thing. I'm just going to trust Him. I don't understand what's going on here, Dennis, but uh, hey, I'm, I'm, going to, I'm going to trust Him. Yeah, I'm, I'm going to trust the Lord here. This is really weird. This is different. I don't know how to handle this, but He does. That's a, it, when you say that's a great need, and the resurrection proves you can count on Him. Number two. Verse 15 of First uh, Corinthians. Moreover, we are even found to be false witnesses of God because we testified against God that He raised Christ whom He did not raise if in fact the dead are not raised. 
You get it? He's speaking in a negative sense. If this be the case, if he's not raised, then we're liars. We're false witnesses. He's talking about that of the apostles. Paul writes this. I'm a false witness. I'm a liar. If he wasn't raised, because that's the heart of the gospel. That's what it's about, isn't it? We're liars. Not false witnesses is the negative sense. We can positively say it of this resurrection. The apostles preached what is true. We today preach what is true. The completed Word of God. Right here. What we hold, we can know that it's absolute truth. Every part of it. Every word. Truth. 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 You can count on it. Get a writing from anybody else, no matter how good it is. May be good. May, may be true. May, you know. But we don't know. Not everything might be true. But we can know when we turn this, it is truth. So without the conviction that there are absolutes in this society that we live in, people can believe anything or not believe anything, and it's just okay. And they can, some people can say, hey, um, you can believe in a resurrection, and that's okay. You can do that, and you can be right. And of course, what's another person going to say? But I don't choose to believe in that resurrection. It was 2,000 years ago and I don't have any proof. And I, even if I had any proof, I wouldn't have to believe that because I don't have to. I can believe what I want and you can too and we're all in this together. Let's shake hands. <laughs> and that's the world that we live in. Everyone does what is right in his own eyes. In the book of Judges, and we see a terrible situation that happened that time. And so it goes through um, human history. The deep need of human society, of a human soul, is that there would be truth. And everybody operates on the principle of truth. <laughs> they really do. They just don't admit it. Jesus said in John 14.6, I won't even turn there. You guys don't even have to either. I am the way and the truth. And the life, no one comes to the Father but through me. He is the truth. The truth resurrected. The truth took on the worst death that could ever be and then was buried and then He came to life. The truth was here. He is life. He rose from the dead to vindicate His very claims that He had been making. Anybody can go around saying, yeah, yeah, watch me. I'll die and then I'll come back to life. Now, you know, if you heard somebody say that, that guy's nuts. There's no way. Well, Jesus is going around and he's been saying that. He's been saying it to the disciples and he's been saying to other people very early. They had no clue what he was saying. Hey, uh, you destroy this temple and uh, it's just going to be rising again. You know, three days. Absolute truth. We have good evidence. We're not people who have blind faith. And we just take it at blind faith without any evidence. No, we have evidence. Um, anyone who is skeptical about the resurrection, now I'm not going to spend a lot of time on this because we have spent um, probably two or three different times down through the years of just going through the proofs of the resurrection. You know, every year it comes around, I say, okay, the Word of God is always fresh and powerful and, and it's great and um, this is the, the greatest good news you can have, the resurrection, but... It's like, okay, um, 
how can I come at a little bit different angle where it'll get people's attention where they, they won't go to sleep on me? <laughs> you know, God, I, I depend on your Holy Spirit because I myself are going to be weak delivering this, and regardless of what it is. But you, you work through us, and, and we'll understand a little bit deeper. And hopefully we can draw something out of this. So I spent all week trying to figure out, okay, I know, I know the subject that it's going to be, resurrection. And we got that beat. But what scripture am I going to take? Because you have Matthew and Mark and Luke and John. You have Corinthians here. You know what? You can go to almost any epistle. You can go to the Old Testament. You can find it. You can go into Isaiah 53. And so you have so many selections. And if you've ever been at a point where you have so much selection that all of a sudden it's hard to make a decision. I could go here. I could go here. And all of a sudden it's Thursday. Nothing. It's Friday, but Sunday's coming. <laughs> and I know what my topic's going to be, but I don't have it. And Saturday morning, and I had to go to the bank and do some legal things, and that was three hours, and I still didn't have it. <laughs> I go, well, I could take this text, I'll take this text. And somewhere about late Saturday afternoon, and this is the latest I think I've had it in a long, long time. Usually I have... I'm studying because we do expository. That's really easy because I know where we're going to be, and I know, and so that's why I like expository for one reason. This is the verse. This is the I just have to choose how many verses, right? But on this one, it's like okay. I I didn't have it Tuesday. I didn't have it Wednesday. I didn't have an outline by Thursday. I didn't have it all together by Friday. Saturday night, I finally said, okay, it's First Corinthians 15. And so that's why we're here. Now, I hope it's the Lord that's working through here. I think He honors His Word at any time. But I'm just going to point out just a few things why we can call it evident because we're dealing with the fact of truth. Everybody needs truth, right? Okay. And you guys probably know all these. We already did. I am the way, the truth, the life, right? Jesus says that. In John 2, 19-22, now He made claims. He made claims. The thing is, were those claims true? Did he back them up when it was time to do that? When John two nineteen, Jesus answered them, "Destroy this temple, and in three days I will raise it up." And they're thinking, you know, the temple, you know, how crazy that is. You know, they're not thinking who he is, but he gives them something right off the bat, right at the very first part of his ministry when he was in Jerusalem, <laughs> right at the temple there. That he was talking about himself. Uh, we'll go to Matthew 28, verse 6. And we look at one of the accounts of the apostles right at the end of Matthew. Here's the empty tomb. Mary Magdalene and the other Mary come to the, the grave. Earthquake had happened. Drop down to verse 6. He is not here, for He has risen just as He said. He had been telling the disciples that. Come, see the place where He was lying. That has to be one of the most exciting things that people hear. But how are you going to believe that right off the bat? This is just so supernatural. It just sounds crazy. Why wouldn't they believe it? He's been saying it all. Look at the things he's been doing all along. Why couldn't he raise himself from the dead? Well, he made a claim, and that's what Christianity is based on in the very first message of the of the church in uh, in Acts. Peter preaches a great. 
sermon there. And guess what he focuses on? The death, burial, the resurrection. And all throughout Acts, that's what you're going to see, the resurrection. The resurrection. And let me tell you, we have something just like they do. Although they might have seen him, we still have full-blown evidence that has been written by credible people. Mahatma Gandhi, who was considered to be a very well-respected leader, never a Christian, and, but he was impressed by Christianity. He liked Christianity. He liked Jesus. He just had a little bit of problem with some of the people that call themselves Christians. And that's why he said he didn't really uh, become a Christian. But uh, also there was another guy by the name of Albert Einstein who had great respect for Jesus, as Mahatma Gandhi did. Great respect. They knew he existed. Claimed that he was quite a great person. But they said, but we don't believe in the resurrection. I don't know. Stops there, guys. It's, can't buy that. But this Jesus is a great man. You know what? What is wrong with their thinking? If they really believed that that really wasn't true, how can he be a great man, a great person, a very credible person when he went around telling people that he was going to die and then come back to life? How credible is that if he doesn't come back to life? So, there's some great thinkers, great men of uh, the last century. I say last century, it sounded like a long time ago, right? Some of us were living when Albert Einstein was around. I think. (laughs) He was a great teacher. He was a great prophet. Now, as C.S. Lewis says, he does not give us that option whatsoever. He's either Lord or he is a downright liar, a lunatic. Or he's Lord. Ooh, did you guys hear that echo out there? Is that too much? Makes it comes a, comes a life in here a little bit, like we're in a cave? No. <laughs> sometimes it doesn't seem like a cave. It just sounds funny up here. Okay, just just check. Um Okay, that's one, right? Jesus made a claim and He showed that it was true. He backed it up. He did raise up. You say, well, how do we know that that's really for real? Well, the empty tomb. The empty tomb is the reason. Go to any other religion and any other religious leader and you'll see their tombs there. And they uh, had leaders that died and did not come back to life. And they never claimed that they would. But our belief does. In John 19... John 19, verse 31. He says, Then the Jews, because it was the day of preparation so that the bodies would not remain on the cross on the Sabbath, for that Sabbath was a high day, asked Pilate that their legs might be broken and that they might be taken away. So the soldiers came and broke the legs of the first man and of the other who was crucified with him. But coming to Jesus, when they saw that he was already dead, they did not break his legs. But one of the soldiers pierced his side with a spear, and immediately blood and water came out. And he who has seen has testified. And his testimony is true, and he knows that he is telling the truth, so that you also may believe. For these things came to pass to fulfill the scripture. 
He was dead. The Romans knew he was dead. The guy who stuck the uh, the, the spear, yeah, thanks, into his side knew he was dead. Pilate made sure that he was dead. Everybody knew he was dead. Dead, dead, dead. How dead is dead? Well, dead is dead. <laughs> so the enemies of Jesus couldn't produce the body even though that would have ended this whole new movement. All they had to do, if that's the case, if he didn't resurrect, all they have to do is take that body, parade him right down Main Street in Jerusalem, whatever it was there, or down the Via Dolorosa or whatever. Just march him down and show that he was a dead body. That's all they had to do. They had the power to do that. Some have tried to say that he could never really he never really died. He was revived in the cool of the tomb. That's pretty amazing. You know what? That's just uh, as amazing as a resurrection, isn't it? (laughs) Um, And he moved the stone on his own. (laughs) Man, they're attributing quite a bit to this man. I'd like to meet who he is if he could do all that. This goes against the horrible realities of what the crucifixion was about. Do you think the Romans are going to mess up on this? Do you think the Jews are going to allow this to happen? Rigorous steps were taken, as we saw there in John 19. Others have said, and this is the story of the Jews, that the disciples stole the body. That's just absolutely ridiculous. But that would mean the disciples would have to risk their lives and whenever there are guards around through the night, Roman guards who are professionals who do not sleep, that's, that was the story that they would all sleep and then they would say, well, uh, you know, the disciples came and stole the body and they're sleeping. Yeah, you've probably thought of that. They're sleep- How would they know, right? Okay. But why would the disciples make up a lie and give their lives up for martyrdom? Why would anybody make up something, collude it all together and knowing it's not true and then go out and get killed for it? You know, that's absolutely ridiculous. So that's a couple that's a couple of things we've seen of evidence. I didn't mean to take this as far as I had, but another one is a dramatic change in the disciples' lives. We know their lives changed. The Holy Spirit came into uh, uh, those individuals like they'd never had before. They were able to preach the gospel in a powerful way and uh, speak on his um, death and burial and resurrection. They were just overflowing with joy and courage. They couldn't wait to keep telling the good news. If you had seen Him alive, how could you not do it, right? And that's what they did. And then another one is found in our 1 Corinthians 15, uh, 4-6, where it talks about many eyewitnesses. Um, verse 4, He was buried and that He was raised on the third day according to the Scriptures and that He appeared to Cephas. The Scriptures are the most important thing, isn't it? That was already said in the Old Testament. He appeared to Cephas, then to the twelve. We know He appeared to the women, Mary and such, even before. After that, He appeared to more than 500 brethren at one time, most of whom remain until now. Most of them are still alive. Go check it out. If you don't believe it, you go to that. 500 witnesses, I think you're going to win your court case. Anybody ever had 500 witnesses? Many witnesses. 20 years later, they were still around. And so they could ask people. And they keep hearing that people were not uh, in a 
fanatical flush of gullibility. You're not going to have that many people, you know, just saying it happened and it didn't happen. Uh, the presence of eyewitness resurrection and the reliability of the witnesses. When we look at the scriptures and the New Testament, these men were very credible. They focused on objective truth here. They weren't gullible. They were very honest. And they told things about themselves. You know, usually when you're writing a book about yourself, you don't want to start telling the bad things. And uh, they were not deceptive. Their, their testimonies were true. You read the writers in the New Testament, and you get a, your conscience is won over. You read it objectively, and you just read it with no kind of incoming thoughts, just trying to say, okay, I want to look at this as objective truth. I just want to see how it's written. And uh, you see that it speaks differently than any other kind of book. Their standards were extremely high. They were devoted to the truth and the very honor of God. So, and if one would doubt that, will test whether these witnesses are less credible than the witnesses are who are against them today who write books against them. The atheists. And another thing, uh, another uh, witness for all of us, another truth is our lives are changed today. We have been changed. We know it wasn't us that did anything. We know it's God who has done that. And we now have the courage to stand for righteousness and justice. And this is undeniable evidence. Okay, that's that's truth. So we have a couple of needs here, right? We have a, definitely a need for truth. We have a need for a person like Christ. Our third need is where everything really kind of hinges on. This is really the one that really everything else is flowing out of. It's the forgiveness of sins. 1 Corinthians 15, 17. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is worthless. Boy, Paul, really. You are still in your sins. Yet we came here this morning and each one of us can proclaim to every one of us here, you are forgiven. Your sins have been forgiven. We need to be reminded that all the time. Not take advantage of it. No, no, no. May it never be, as Romans 6 says. Now, because of that, we want to live our lives as instruments of righteousness because of what God has done. Of utmost importance. Look in 1 Corinthians 15.3 For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins. Repaid for according to the scriptures, according to the scriptures, according to the word of God. You know what? Everything hangs on this forgiveness. How is the resurrection connected to forgiveness? It says he died for our sins. How is the resurrection connected to forgiveness? Isn't it the death of Jesus that takes away our sin? Because he bore our sins, he carried them there to that hill. Calvary. He took our judgment. 1 Corinthians 15.3 He died for our sins. But the connection with the resurrection here is very important. Romans chapter 4. Just a little bit of theology here. Getting a lot of practicality in this morning, but uh, 
Boy, so much theology that's found at the cross. In Romans chapter 4, verse 25, He who was delivered over, turned over, put at the cross, because of our transgressions, because of our sin, and was raised because of our justification. He was handed over on account of transgressions. He was raised on account of our justification. This means that by His death, He paid the penalty for our sins. He purchased our acquittal, our justification, our forgiveness. The achievement that was done on the cross was so complete and the work of our justification was so decisive. God raises Jesus from the dead to validate our forgiveness. We have been justified. It vindicates the Son's righteousness as He is raised. And we celebrate the work of justification. That's what we're doing here today. We have been justified. Declared righteous before a holy God. That is hard to imagine humanly. And yet, that is what has been done positionally. Justification. Everybody in this room this morning needs forgiveness. Boy, do we need forgiveness. Deep inside. We know about that. We long for that. We long to be accepted by God. If we trusted in that sacrifice, we have been accepted. He accepts us. We don't accept Him, do we? He accepts us. We fear the alienation of guilt. We don't like guilt. We don't like that hanging over us, do we? Paul says, because Christ rose from the dead, we are no longer in our sins. It's done. This is a basic longing from our hearts. Really a basic longing for everybody. The only thing is they don't know it. They don't admit that they're in sin. If they would see the law, and of course if the Spirit of God would come and open them up, they would see that they've offended a holy God. And then they would say, how can I get my sins forgiven? That's the most basic need, isn't it? 1 Peter 3.18 For Christ also died for sins once for all. There is no need for another sacrifice. Do you get that? For Christ also died for sins once for all. No more sacrifice. It's done. The just for the unjust. He's the just. He's also the justifier. Now that's amazing, isn't he? While he's the just one, he's also the justifier, making us justified. So that he might bring us to God, having been put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the Spirit. The connection of forgiveness and resurrection. We have to have, we have a great need for that, don't we? And we know it's been done, but also on a daily basis. We, want, we recognize that we are to be confessing our sin, uh, assuring that uh, we have joy in, in the Lord. Restore unto the joy of my salvation, as David had said. 
We have another one here. What is another need for um, humans, Christians? In verse 18, then those also who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. The ones who have already died, they perish. Uh, verse 20, but now Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who are asleep, the ones who have died. And we know that we will die physically. That we not come to uh, an empty end. That is what many people believe today. You live in this life, and after it's all done, that's it. Bingo. It's done. Well, if that's what life is about, why would I want to be in this miserable, sinful, dreadful place? We know the reason why we are here now. Uh, I wouldn't like this life just for what it is, and then that's it. There's nothing after this. Yeah, live a great, full, and valuable life and get all the money that you want. Uh, You read the book of Ecclesiastes and you see that uh, there's no answer there. And then you see at the end of uh, the lives of atheists how sad it is the way that they die. And well, they have no hope. All they know is, as far as they're concerned, this is it. Somehow I have to wonder deep down inside they know a little more than that. We don't want to become a zero or worse, even even damned. What if it's just, you know, you, you live and you die and that's it. But what if there is this this hell where people are there judged for eternity. But positively, alive. Then those who have fallen asleep, let's put it together, those really are people who uh, who are alive spiritually. They're with the Lord, aren't they? We are alive. We know we'll live forever the way that Christ lives. We will enter into the joy of our Master. We know this. Only because of the resurrection. He's the first fruits. If you have a first fruit that comes up, what does that guarantee? More fruits to come. That was a festival, right? First fruits. We have one more need for a meaningful life. If Christ is not raised, in verse 19 it says, if we have hoped in Christ in this life only, just hoping. In Christ, in this life only, we are of all men most to be pitied. Christ is not raised and living for Him, doing what He says, following Him in obedience, singing songs to Him, reading His Word and everything else. It's a great delusion, folks. It's absolute foolish to be doing what we're doing. Why are we here? (laughs) We are fools. But that's not the case. That's what Paul is putting forth here. You know, matter of fact, we should be pitied like insane people. And people do that. They think we're crazy. They think we're nuts because we're Christians. Wasting our time. You've probably heard that from people. Maybe your own family and neighbors. They think we live by hallucinations. Resurrection was a hallucination. Fact is, He's been raised. He is alive. We've given some facts and proof. We can go into a lot more deeper with that. But You know what? Really, our lives are positively enviable people really knew what we have in store for us. As a matter of fact, we have life right now that we can enjoy. You know, it's not doom and gloom for a Christian. We know where it puts in the right perspective. 
Every one of us has a longing that our lives will be well spent. We want to. We want something to, to to be counted for. We want our lives to be something. And really, ultimately, it's to me, it's that God be glorified in my life, whatever I do, whatever details that I, I do. I don't want to have misspent time. I don't want my life to be all in vain and empty and uh, pointless and useless. You know what I mean? And some people feel that way. And it would be awfully easy to get into the doldrums and think that way. But as a Christian, that's not true at all. First Corinthians 15.58 Here's encouragement. After all this resurrection, death is swallowed up in victory. And oh, death, where is your uh, victory? Oh, death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin. The power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. And here's a therefore. Now here's how you live it. Therefore, because of this, because of this great good news, this is the same chapter we've been studying, but we don't have time to do all the verses. My beloved brethren, be steadfast, immovable always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your toil is not in vain in the Lord. This is not useless. Hey, is that worth praising? Let's just say, praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. <laughs> Man, that is good news. Sometimes it may feel that way. Second Corinthians 4.18, same uh, writer here. This is Paul. And uh, it's to the same people. And look at the encouragement he gives. For momentary light affliction is producing for us this light affliction. Boy, you feel the weight. Oh, oh, this is great, Dennis. This is a great life. I know. I know. I'm a Christian man. You ought to. Oh, I can't take it anymore. Momentary light affliction, and it's producing for us. I mean, it's it's working for us. What an eternal weight of glory. Far beyond all comprehension. I'm just I'm trying to say these words, you know, like loud and soft. Do you see what he's saying here? This is in this life, not everything is just going to be fun, and everything's going to be happy. He says, "Here, I can explain what's going on, though. If it is, if it's not, if it's not happy. While we look not at the things which are seen." But the things which are not seen, for the things which are seen are temporal. They're just here for a short time. Momentary. But the things which are not seen are eternal. We live by faith and not by sight. That's the clue. We don't live it in vain. Oh Lord, that my life would not be misspent. Oh, that I would not come to the grave and say, I've wasted it. It doesn't have to be that way. We live for His... Uh, glory. We live by His strength. It's not in vain. Our lives are significant. And you don't believe that. Open up the book of Ephesians chapter 1 and just read the first 14 verses there. Well, go ahead and read the rest of the chapter. Read the rest of the book. <laughs> significant. You know what? He gave us forgiveness. And we have a friend we can count on and he is utterly reliable all the time. He gave us guidance in unchanging truth. That is absolutely truthful. He gave us a life that actually is should be enviable to people. And the joy that we have it. And it's an everlasting joy that will not end by the death of the body. That's when we'll be released out of this incarceration and into the very presence of God. I urge you with all my heart this morning to lift up your heart.
and say with the choirs in heaven, Worthy is the Lamb that was slain and hath redeemed us to God by His blood to receive power and riches and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and blessing. Amen. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we thank You for Your Word. We know it to be absolute truth. It is so valuable. And we've seen how it's changed our life. Cause us to be born again. Cause us to live lives that desire to glorify our Father in Heaven. Thank You for that resurrection. What an event that stands in the middle of all time. There is nothing that compares with the death, the burial, the resurrection. The ascension of our Lord and His coming back for us. And Lord, we stand here today proclaiming that and as we do one more part of worship in communing with the saints that it proclaims Your good news. In Jesus' name, Amen.